Aren't you glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Yes. This morning we're going to talk about counting the cost of discipleship. That's a tough one to think about as we look through Scripture. There's not, it's not easy. It's not something that's simple as we look through the Scripture of what it means to count the cost of discipleship or what it means to be a disciple. I'm going to, we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. First, I want to read out of Luke, and it won't be on the screen. It's just I'm going to read this. I want you to think about this as I read it. Because this is going to summarize. This is your cliff notes for the sermon. So you can just go ahead and leave right after I read this if you want. No, just kidding. Don't leave, please. Luke chapter 14 says this. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Got your steel toe boots on this morning? For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down and first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegate, delegation and asks for terms of peace. Listen to this. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Ouch! So therefore, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Well, that's tough words to hear. Think of the things in our lives that we could renounce because maybe we're putting those in place of Jesus Christ. A builder counts the cost before building. We as a church right now are counting the cost as a building is being built. There's the, the earth, dirt work had to be done. The uh, uh, different materials have had to be laid down already to lay and start that foundation so it's firm and that, so that it will last for generations to come. Hopefully impact generations of lives to come. As a king costs the, counts the cost of battle, we count the cost every day with our money. We count the cost in our jobs, in our schools. Sometimes we neglect to count the cost of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ in our own walk with the Lord. So this morning we're going to look at this, Counting the Cost of Discipleship. This series is not a shame series. So we're going to look at, through Scripture today, and the different passages we're going to look at, it's this whole concept of being not ashamed, being willing to stand up for our faith and count the cost daily. So once again, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 through 42. First, I'm going to read verses 32 and 33. As we look at counting the cost of discipleship, a disciple is loyal. It says there in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. So then, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. This acknowledgement, this confession of Christ here. What or whom is the disciple to acknowledge or to confess? Well, Jesus says in verse 32, so everyone who acknowledges me, him before men, then he will acknowledge you before God the Father. I don't know about you, but I long for the day to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I would, I would be glad if it came before Tuesday. Amen? I'd be glad if it just came, period, like right now. Just the stuff life. Us raising our own kids in the life that I look at them that they're going to have to live through. But if they count the cost of discipleship, if they know what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, then 
we can live the life, whatever set before us. So what are we or who are we confessing and acknowledging before man? Harold Fowler says this in his commentary of Matthew. What a man thinks about Jesus is the only important issue over which he should ever have to stand trial and give account. Because if, he's, but because if he be mistaken about this one question, how can he be right or even significantly near it in relation to any other issue? Isn't that powerful? What, what and how we stand before Jesus Christ and before men says a lot about who we are and our walk with the Lord. So what? So right now we're going to look at the life of Peter for the first three um, if you're going through your outline on your bulletin, the first three of those are, are going to be looking at the life of Peter here. So, so Jesus and Peter. So we find, whoa, we find that the mic fell off. We find here first that Peter acknowledges Jesus. Peter confesses Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others Jeremiah the prophet. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? You guys have spent time with me. We've had intimate time together. Who do you say that? I don't care who everybody else says, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We have to answer that in our own lives. That's part of the salvation process that we look through the New Testament we have to be able to answer that question. Who do you say that Jesus is? So we should be able to say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. My Lord and Savior. As we go through the salvation process. Giving our faith to him. Confessing Christ, Jesus as Lord. Repenting of our sins and being baptized. And then living that out. We see through this statement though, in Matthew chapter 16, 17, and 18, that, that this guy, actually his name was Simon Barjona, and became Peter. He had a name change here. It says, Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, not Peter, but on the statement that he just made, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, I tell you, you are Peter on this rock. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen? When we wake up Wednesday morning, and we have Jesus Christ in our life, the gates of hell are not going to prevail our life, right? I think we get so caught up in this junk of this world that we don't realize who we are in Christ. It doesn't matter what's going on around us in our lives. It can be some very serious junk in your life that's going on. But if you have Jesus Christ, we have everything. When I do a wedding, I tell the couple, you don't have God, you have nothing. But if you have God, you have everything in your marriage and in your life. But then it goes from this. So, so what, what would your name be? If Jesus came to you and said, who do you say that I am? Would your name change be to rock? Or would it be changed to pebble? Or a grain of sand? Who would Jesus say that you are? How would he change your name? Jesus goes on in Luke 22, 31, and 34. So Peter has this high of this confessing Jesus as Lord. He gets his name changed to the rock. He is the rock now. Look at me, I'm the rock. But then Jesus tells him in Luke 22, 31 through 34, Simon, Simon, 
Behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail. When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. Man, I confess, Lord. He called me the rock. Then I'm going to go out and deny him. This is what we find in Matthew 26, 69 through 75. The prophecy is fulfilled. Now Peter was sitting outside the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You were also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And we went out to the entrance. Another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he again denied in both Denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them. You, for your accent, betrays you. And they began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. I do not know the man. Could you imagine that man coming off of his lips? One, two, this is my third time denying Christ. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times times and he went out and wept bitterly could you imagine what peter was feeling feeling could you imagine that going away weeping bitterly are we confessing christ before men are we denying him are we loyal to christ or are we denying him Now let's look at counting the cost of discipleship. A disciple puts Christ number one. Verses 34 through 37 of Matthew chapter 10. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to this earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against his mother, her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me me so the jewish custom is they they thought that this when when the christ the messiah comes it's going to bring on this this universal peace and great prosperity jesus said i didn't just bring come to bring peace he said i also brought a sword william barclay puts it great here he says when some great cause emerges it is bound to divide people there are bound to be those who are republican and democrat no wait wait doesn't say that There are bound to be those who answer and those who refuse the challenge. To be confronted with Jesus is necessarily to be confronted with a choice whether to accept him or to reject him. And the world is always divided into those who accept Christ and those who have not. Jesus talks about, in this passage, family and friends. That's tough. Those are some tough words. Are we willing to put Jesus Christ above our wife, our husband, our children, our mother, father, mother and father-in-law, maybe so. No, just kidding. But are we willing to put Christ above all else? Here, this might get you maybe over your activities, the things you enjoy to do. Well, I've got to have me time. Well, did Jesus say I have to have me time when he went to the cross? I don't think so. Jesus went to the cross willingly. 
so that we could accept him, so that we could live for him wholeheartedly. And the key to all of this is one word, something we all long for and want in our lives. The one word is love. Scripture is very clear of what we are to do as his disciples, is to love God, love others, and love to serve. That's what we're trying to strive to be all about here at Northside. Love God, love others, and love to serve. But that should be our own personal life as well, that we love God first over everything else. We love others and love to serve. As some of you who maybe went through the Real Life Discipleship book or study, it's that head, heart, and hands. Take in the knowledge, but then we let it penetrate our heart and out to our hands. This is to be lived out. It's us keeping our eyes on the prize that is set before us. Now we find John chapter 21, one of my favorite uh, chapters in all of Scripture. In John chapter 21, we find it starts out here. Uh, the, the, some of the disciples went out fishing. They were out all night not catching a thing. And then all of a sudden, some guy from the shore says, you haven't caught anything, have you? Losers. No, he didn't say that. But you haven't caught anything, have you? And they're like, oh, no, don't want to admit it. I mean, who wants to come in and say you didn't catch anything? Well, why don't you try the right-hand side of the boat? And they had great, this great catch of fish. And then John 21, verse 7 says, The disciple whom Jesus loved, was talking about John, therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. Can you imagine Peter? How many of you have wronged a dear friend? And the turmoil, the restlessness, the lack of sleep, your stomach turning, finding itself in knots, wondering how your friendship is going to be mended. What's it going to be like when I am face to face with them to be able to talk with them and get this conflict resolved? must have been the thoughts of Peter, but then when he heard, it is the Lord. And says, then Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put out his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. He said, man, I'm not taking this boat the rest of the way, and I'm getting there to see the Lord. How many of us are that excited to get to see the Lord? How many of us are that excited to get to be a part of the body of Christ? How many of us are excited to be able to do this, to know that we have Jesus the friend of sinners. Jesus, the friend of us. Jesus, that gives us unconditional, agape, love. So Jesus is there. He provides a breakfast for the disciples. But then John 21, 15 through 17, it says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, he's like, yes, he's talking to me. This, is, this awkwardness is over now. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said this to him a third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Could you imagine that? The relationship was being mended right before his eyes. The restoration of Peter was taking place in their relationship. The rock had to go back and think about his own confession that he gave. That Jesus is the Lord, the Son of the living God. And he had to learn to go back to his first love. 
who he needed to put number one, and that was Jesus Christ. Go to verses 38 and 39 of Matthew chapter 10. Counting the cost of discipleship, a disciple is a cross-bearer. It says there in Matthew chapter 10, verses 38 and 39, And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's always a tough one to think about, just bearing this cross of Jesus. I mean, it's always hard for me to watch the passion of the Christ. I think it was a pretty good, real uh, visual of what that means, uh, of Jesus going to the cross, being whipped and beat and spit on, but then having to bear his own cross to his death. We find ourselves, we're told here to bear our cross. We're supposed to find it. We're supposed to pick it up. We're supposed to bear it. We're supposed to live it. This looks like a life of sacrifice, a life of love, a life of obedience, a life of grace, a life of serving, a life of compassion, a life of loyalty to our King, Jesus Christ. He who is given little will be given much if you do well with what is the little. How are we handling what we've been given? How are we handling our cross? John chapter 21 again. Peter was, was restored and, and told of his future. It says to him in John chapter 21, verses 18 and 19, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter here was foretold of his death. This is going to be you, Peter. Most of us don't want to be foretold of our death. But for Peter, this would have been great words to hear. Music to his ears. That I'm going to die a martyr for Jesus and not denying a fourth time. Jesus said those words, follow me. Can you imagine that moment of Peter? He said, follow me again. All the weight of the world was off of his shoulders. He was being restored in the way that only Jesus Christ and restore us. Let's look at verses 40 through 42. Counting the cost of discipleship, a disciple makes an impact. It says there, Matthew chapter 10, verse 40 through 42, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will, be, he will by no means lose his reward. We need to remember that we are Christ to our neighbors. Who is our neighbor? Well, it's not just our physical address, those, but yeah, that can be them. But our neighbor are those that you're sitting by today. Your neighbors are those that share a cubicle with you at work. The neighbors are the ones that you are Uh, that work under you or that you work above you at work. Those are your neighbors. How are you treating your neighbors, those around you? What are we looking for, an earthly or a heavenly reward? Where are our eyes at? Are they stuck here on this earth or are they stuck in heaven? Of man, one day we will be home. I want to look now at three different people from Scripture. I just want you to listen. I'm going to read through their passages and look at their lives. I'll look into, first, the woman at the well. John chapter 4, verses 7 through 15. It says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me water, for his disciples 
had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well to drink from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give you, give him, will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will be, not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. The woman at the well. Let's look at the woman caught in adultery. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, Teacher, this woman is caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they may have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. So the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, and the rich young ruler. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who is good if you would enter life. Keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, and the rich young ruler. Now let's look at, after they had contact with Jesus, their reaction. The woman at the well's impact, John chapter 4, verses 28 and 30. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town, said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I'd ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So the woman at the well came in contact with Jesus, and the impact that she had was immediately on her, but she was still wondering, is this him? It goes on to say in verses 39 through 42 of John 4, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, he told me all that I'd ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Look at the impact that she had on her life. Go to draw some water from the well. Come in contact with Jesus the Savior. And she went out immediately was telling people about the saving grace, about who Jesus is going to give this living water and thirst no more. Now let's look at the woman caught in adultery's impact. John chapter 8, verses 7 through 11. And as I continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when he had heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. 
Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on, sin no more. We don't have the Paul Harvey here of her life. We don't have the rest of the story. But could you imagine the impact of being brought in and by law could have been stoned to death? Well, you know the impact of the scribes and the Pharisees. They went away. They started getting the story pretty quick of who this Jesus was when they tested him. Now let's look at the rich young ruler's impact. Matthew chapter 19, verses 20 through 22. The young man said to him, All these I've kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Here's the impact it made for this young man. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He was willing to keep his possessions over Jesus Christ. He was willing to put all his stock into what he had over Christ. He allowed the things of this world to make a bigger impact on his life than that of Jesus Christ. He knew Jesus. He had the knowledge. He was there. He knew something was special about this, but he didn't take the action to truly know Jesus. It's hard to make an impact as a disciple if we do not have the desire. We don't have the knowledge, and we put that knowledge into action, as James tells us. Here's what I want to end with, the lasting legacy of discipleship. You have to be a disciple to lead a disciple. One of the things we use when we do baby dedication, Jennifer and I, when we teach that, is you can't expect to give what you do not have. You can't expect to give what you do not have. So our desire at Northside is here for everybody to desire to come, become a disciple of Jesus Christ, to give their life to Jesus, to be one, to lead one, to be a disciple, to lead a disciple. I'm going to close with this story. James Harrison's a linebacker for the Steelers. I love this story. So this is his post that he put out. I don't know if it was Twitter or Facebook. Because while I'm very proud of my boys for everything they do, and will encourage them to the day I die, these trophies will be given back until they earn a real trophy. So his sons receive participation trophies. I'm not about to raise two boys to be men by making them believe that they are entitled to something just because they tried their best. Because sometimes your best is not enough, and that should drive you to want to do better. Not cry and whine until somebody gives you something to shut you up and keep you happy. And he ended this with hashtag Harrison Family Values. What are the values that we're instilling in our kids? Here's your trophy. You went to church. Are we living that in our own lives? Here's your trophy. We went to church on Sunday. That's the only day we brought our cross and brought our Bible into our lives. Guys, this is hard. But Jesus never said that being a disciple of him was going to be easy. Amen? We can all testify many stories. We could be in here for until next week. The stories in our life that are hard, that are painful, that are stressful, that are sorrowful tell you what, it's so much better to have it with Jesus Christ, to say that I'm a disciple of his. No matter what 
I go through, if it's persecution or whatever I face in my life, I'm going to face it with Jesus Christ and no one else. I'm going to help others to come to a knowledge of who Jesus is, not who someone else is. Guys, there are no participation trophies in heaven. Revelation is clear. Either cold or hot. Lukewarm, not good. Cold, not good. I want to receive that eternal prize. Well done, my good and faithful servant. But we live a life that does not say that, period. How are you living your life in your workplace? Eh, I'm okay with my participation trophy. No, it should not be so. We should be desiring and longing for that relationship with Jesus Christ more than anything else of this world. It should drive us to do the things He wants us to do and not what we want to do. We should be seeking Him with our all and not just giving Him a few percentage of our lives. Guys, it says in Scripture, many are going to say, Lord, Lord, and I will not know them. I will spit them out of my mouth. That's scary stuff. When I read that, I'm like, man, I'm sitting in a pew. I better be living it. I'm going out and I say I'm a Christian. I better be living it. Do I all the time? No. Do I strive for it? Yes. Strive to do my best for the Lord. We need to strive to do our best for the Lord and don't give a half-hearted effort. Don't just say, ah, it doesn't matter how I play. I'm going to get a participation trophy. Because it's not about a participation trophy. It's about how we can do in our lives, even 100%, giving our all. It's not about sitting in the stands. It's about getting on the field and saying, here we are, go. When we come here this morning, that's not about just getting our ears tickled. It's about putting our hands and saying, one, two, three, team Christ, and we're out doing it. All right? Let's do it then, okay? If you're here this morning and you do not know who Jesus is, come forward and give your life to Christ. Don't put it off another day. If you're here today and you say, man, I want to make Northside a place. I want to make it our family home. Then come. Maybe you say, man, I'm just, I need, just need prayer. Then come forward and pray. There's many of you up here praying. I'm sure we'll have some elders and other people will come up and pray with you. But seek that. Don't just sit on your hands. Don't just sit in the stands. Get out in the game. Let's stand and sing.